Hello, welcome to the Mag Life, episode number 171. I'm Daniel Shaw, and I'm here with Varg Freeborn. Hey, Varg, how are you today? Pretty good. Today, we're going to talk about something that probably the most asked question that I ever get, and I've gotten for the past many years, what handgun do I carry? What is the best handgun for self-defense? What handgun should I be using for me personally? How should I choose the best handgun? So we're going to talk a little bit about that to hopefully give some of these new gun owners that are shopping out there and people out there who, like yourself, who has people asking them what new gun or guns they should be buying when they're just jumping into this firearms thing and finally taking responsibility for their own personal safety. So, Varg, when we're thinking about new handguns, uh, I have handguns that I like. There's, I'm sure there's handguns that I've never even handled or shot that I would also like. So it doesn't mean that just because what I like and choose is is the absolute best thing out there. I think they're the best for me, and I, I think that's an important thing to consider. But when you're thinking about a new handgun for a new shooter out there, without saying the name of your favorite brand right now, what, do, what are you thinking about? What are you looking at? Uh, well, I think that there's two things that matter to me. The first one is it has to be a field-proven, reliable weapon that's number one like i don't care how good it fits in my hand or how beautiful or sexy it is if it falls apart it's it's no good to me now when you say filled reliable you mean filled proven like it's actually been used by law enforcement or military professional level use on a wide scale yeah over over many years yeah like i i look at things like that it also uh, professional training facilities that will have, you know, like, for example, Alliance Police Training has about 6,000 people come through a year. And patterns of weapon failure and weapon success begin to emerge when you see that many people year after year coming through running weapons hard, you know. Five. Absolutely. So you start to see uh, patterns there and you also see what's fielded out there on on a wide scale usage in professional level jobs that require a firearm. And so I think that's probably number one for me. And then it's, you know, how it fits and how it feels. And to a certain extent, I feel like I can accommodate myself to a gun that might not feel quite right right away. I think I can train myself to to be comfortable with that weapon as long as it's not physically bigger than my hand or, or for some like, you know, physical reason I can't reach the controls or something like that. Yeah. I'm the same way. And I, I've never been able to figure out this. You know, people talk about the grip angle. Oh, I can't shoot one of those because of the grip angle, if changing the angle of the grip by just a couple of degrees or, or a very few degrees makes it where you can no longer shoot a gun, I would argue that you do not really understand how to properly shoot a gun to begin with. Because these things don't matter to me. Go from a Glock to a 1911 to a whatever and and not struggle. Where the gun's pointed, when you make the gun go bang without moving the gun, is where the bullet's going to strike. Now, there's some things part of the draw and presentation that may have to be changed a little bit. And then the addition of a red dot, there's a different presentation. But still, I can I agree. I can accommodate to pretty much anything. Rapidly. Yeah, and I, I get their point. To a certain extent, if you're if you're training uh, a great deal with the same 
grip angle, the same weapon, the same sight height and grip angle and sight over bore, all that stuff is it, it, that shapes how you present the weapon in your draw stroke and your press out all that. So if you physically remember, you know, and, and those, those nerve grooves are deeply, you know, rooted into you to run that program every time the exact same way physically, then when you put up that, you know, that, that gun, it has a different grip angle. If you use that same, uh, physical approach, you're going to end up a couple degrees off. So you do have to adjust that. But that being said, I don't remember a time ever like picking up a new gun and just, you know, throwing it up there like I would the gun I've been using forever uh, without like taking the time to familiarize myself with the sights and the grip angle and how high the sights are and all that kind of stuff, you know. Sure. And I'd argue that transition is, is fairly intuitive. Yeah, I think so. If you're going to use your sights at all, like you figure it out pretty quick. You mentioned one thing in there, and this is this is important to me. I've got pretty good sized hands, but there are still a few guns out there that are just they're not all created equal in terms of of controls and, and layouts of controls. I want to be able to reach the controls of the gun. I want to be able to reach the slide stop, the slide cat, the slide release. Uh, I want to be able to reach the magazine release. I want to be able to uh, let my finger fall naturally on the trigger in a way that I can press that trigger very very. Uh, well, without we talked about trigger in a not too long ago episode back when the Mag Life was Gunfighter Cast. I need to be able to reach these controls well, and those are to me some of the most important things. If I can do that, and even if I can't reach controls, I've got a lot of techniques that that can allow me to make small little changes in what I'm doing for whatever task I'm trying to accomplish. It lets me reach those controls, but I'd rather not have to do those things. I'd rather have a gun that just fits my hand to begin with. I agree. And if you can find that that has the reliability you need, then you're pretty much done with your search. Um, and that's like for a carry consideration, something like that. But if, uh, you know, if you're a collector and you just like guns, which a lot of, a lot of people do, uh, they just yeah, like to have different guns. Uh, I'm not particularly one of those people. I, I used to collect and then, um, I just got out of it and now I have like the weapons I use for, for training and defense and backups for those. And that's pretty much what I've got. Uh, but if you like the different stuff, you know, then you can have like multiple different brands and different grip angles, sizes, you know, all just, just so many different types of, of handgun configurations out there. And a lot of it's fun to shoot, you know, so if you're looking for those reasons, then it doesn't, you know, if you're not going to set it on your nightstand or have it, you know, in your um, holster carrying around on your body to protect yourself and depend on, you know, for the protection of your life, then you can pick whatever you want. Right. And just have fun with it. But if it's something that you're going to depend on to preserve your life or the life of someone that you may care about, I would push very hard for the reliability part of it being at the top and then, you know fit and finish and all that stuff comes after that. Yeah. I don't do this so much now. I mean, every, I do it a little bit. I mean, much, much less, like maybe once or twice a year, but it used to be every week it was, or every, every two weeks or every month, you know, I was carrying a new gun because I'd get a new gun in for some kind of review that I was going to make a video on or, or write something about it. And, and there's been a lot of people out there who write articles and do videos on guns. I may have told the story before, but there's a situation where 
a gun came to a writer and they wrote a big article for a major publication and had chrono on it and had shot groups and all kind of stuff with these actually two guns. Um, and then they went to another guy, a friend of mine, and he went out to go shoot them and they had the shot show firing pins in them. These guns had those same firing pins in them with that last person who wrote that whole article about them. So there was an article written about these two guns from the same manufacturer with chrono, with shot groups, with everything else, talked about the reliability and the round count and everything else, and they had never been fired once. I don't know what gun was used to, to shoot that, uh, to write that article, but according to the manufacturer, uh, it was not those two guns. And that, uh, that kind of stuff's out there. It, it's, it's out there a lot. So there's, there's, I bring it up because when I was you know, testing a lot of guns, I really believe that if I'm going to write an article or give some information about a gun that I need to shoot it a lot. I also need to carry it and I need to, to find all the little things about it the best I can. And, and I always try to find some things that nobody else is covering on, on those guns, the things that matter to me, because if you wrote the article on the same gun, you probably wouldn't cover the same things that I do because there's things in your life experience that are higher priority for you than they are for me. Like for me, when I, when I looking at a defensive handgun, I want to have some good, manipulation features on there. I want to make sure that this, this gun has a, uh, a way for me to easily grab that magazine and rip it out for some kind of stoppage clearance. Not some of the guns that are very flush fitting and maybe you can get a fingernail in there to pull a magazine out during uh, some kind of problem with your gun or sights that are ramped and don't have any kind of like straight up or forward leaning edge to the rear sight. If you don't, if you're not running a red dot uh, just for one handed type manipulations. I mean, we see, when we go to one hand shooting in classes, especially when people are fatigued, I see stoppages start to increase tremendously. And we also, if we look at dash cam video and closed circuit TV and cell phone footage and things like that, I've seen somewhere over like 30% of all videos involving some kind of one hand shooting. So I, I put a lot of priority on, on one handed stuff and one hand manipulations with a, a defensive handgun. So, and, and then also the idea that my hands are going to be sweaty, maybe bloody, maybe hurt. You know, I recently reviewed the Springfield Armory Hellcat, wrote an article for The Truth About Guns, and I've, I've been very critical of Springfield handguns uh, outside of their 1911s, their XD line, for many years, very critical of them. And I, I actually did not hate the Hellcat at all. But one of the things I found out when I submerged my hands in water, my hands were wet because of what they did with the slide texture to make it comfortable against the body and everything else. Uh, I could not rack that slide without using the rear side, hooking it on my knuckle, pushing down very hard and almost cutting myself to get that slide back when my hands were wet because there just wasn't enough texture on that slide. That's something that matters to me, but it may not matter to everybody else out there. I get that. And so you know, that's, that's part of my test. I was like, look, this slide feels a little slick. Let me see what I can, how I can make this thing fail. And uh, a lot of sweat, a lot of blood, or just water in the rain could make it where you cannot rack that slide. And I've got some good grip strength too uh, on that, that gun. So that's, that makes that gun not the best choice for me because there are other guns that are around the same size, potentially more reliable from historical data and, and aren't going to have that kind of problem for me. So for me, that, that makes it where that's not really going to be a gun that I carry because there's other options that do all the things that I personally care about. Well, I think that you obviously made some really good points there. Uh, the one thing I'd like to circle back to is, you know, if you're someone who doesn't 
spend a lot of time in the technical side of the gun industry. And I don't mean just like as a hobbyist or as someone who's like a super, you know, dedicated gun nut, but I mean working in the industry in a job that has to do with working with gun companies or dealing with this kind of stuff on a regular basis. If you're not in that position, there's some things you might not know. Like when Daniel, you pointed out about, you know, some articles get out there that are just pretty much written without, without real information. And, you know, the gun, you know, isn't actually fired and you're not sure where this information came from. Uh, so this kind of stuff is pretty common. And, you know, one of the things that I like to tell people, especially new gun owners and things like that is like, just because you see it in a glossy magazine ad doesn't mean it's awesome. Just because it's the glossy back cover of a magazine put out by a famous and, you know, well-known lobbyist organization doesn't mean that it's awesome. It just means that they had the money to advertise for that spot. That's all that means. Uh, and you have to look beyond the glossy, the glossy magazine ads and look for real information coming from professional end users that can tell you things about these weapons that go into detail, like what you just talked about, all those things about, you know, ramps sites and straight up sites that you can snag and like all these different considerations that you have, uh, reliability, function of the slide, function of the safeties, like all the different things that go into it. Um, those type of, those types of information sets don't come from glossy ads. They come from end users that are at a professional level. So if you dig a little deeper, you can find real information, but it's not typically going to be in a glossy magazine. Unfortunately, it just doesn't really work out that way. Typically. Would you agree? Yeah. No, you've reminded me of a situation a few years ago. I had, um, I didn't know him at the time, but he reached out to me. He's like, Hey, I want to bring my kids out and shoot at, a, at an outdoor range in this area. And I was like, well, I have one, you know, that I use for classes. So yeah, you can go out there. I can let you in and you can shoot. And he was the editor of guns.com at the time. Uh, I eventually started writing for him when he became the editor of guns America. And he was, uh, he actually was the editor of the mag life for a while too. Cause I gave him a job later on. Great guy. Awesome individual, you know, good shooter. Uh, had, had a little bit of transition to make into the defensive side of things from, from what he was doing. I was like, Hey, I got a class this weekend. It's a two day handgun class. If you want to go, I'll, I'll, you can have a seat, you know? And he's like, you know what? I, I think I can probably do that. So he comes out to the class. He had never really taken anything beyond like concealed carry and some, some basically local classes, wherever he was at, you know, living. And he came out to the class and he shot the class for two days. And he told me in the debrief in the class, he said, Daniel, I've been writing articles about defensive handguns and, and saying they're, they're good for all the wrong reasons. He's like, I've, I've been evaluating these guns incorrectly for the past 12 years. And just coming out here for two days has really changed my mind on how I'm going to evaluate these guns. He was shooting like a Glock 23 in that class. And he's um, like, that it really made a lot of difference. And he put that in an article and wrote an article about the class and, and what he had learned as a writer and stuff in the class up on guns.com, still up there. Um, if I can, I'll, I'll see if I can track it down, throw a link in the show notes. I had been to a lot of events at this time, a lot of media events where companies coming out with new guns and seeing things. And there's a lot of people out there that are telling you things are good that, and I'm not trying to sound like arrogant or anything here at all, but 
there's a lot of folks out there that are known as influencers and maybe even trusted advisors that put out this perception that they know what they're talking about. And they probably know what the barrel's made of. They probably know what each little part's called. They, this is stuff that I don't know about. I don't care. I like the software's integration with the hardware. That's where my quest for expertise is. Integrating our software from mindset to uh, physiological response, like everything, integrating that into that hardware, that gun that we have, our, our support equipment, all that stuff uh, in relation to the fight that we're in or whatever's going on. That's that's where my quest for expertise lies. I, I don't know what the barrel's made of or coated with in, in most guns, and I don't really care. I'm never going to know. If someone's like, hey, do you see this new thing coming out from so-and-so? If it wasn't something that I need to work on getting magazines for Gun Mag Warehouse or an article that I'm, I'm assigning to a writer or something like that, I probably don't know about it because I, I don't, it's not something that I, I really care about a lot. And, but I see a lot of these people at these events that people are trusting. They're making choices. And, and I take this very seriously. I think in a lot of ways more serious than a lot of uh, my colleagues out there in the, the media side of things. The information that I'm going to give to somebody about a gun, about a product, about a piece of ammunition or whatever it is, could be something that gets them killed or saves their life. I mean, this, this could be life and death in, in its extreme. And, I want to make sure that, that I am right and I'm given the right information and I'm not just giving information and I'm not spending 2000 words to show how smart I am. I am spending 2000 words trying to educate the, the, the reader on the other side or the person watching the video or whatever it is. And that, that really matters to me. And I go to these events and there's people who just are dangerous handling guns. They're unsafe. They, they don't understand how to shoot well. They're missing everything, whether it's rifle or handgun. But they're writing these articles on these things because they're good writers and they're entertaining. I'm sure there's a place for all that. When it comes to something for defense, for me, I, I like to trust those people that you just named that are just in, heavily involved in training. They're not just going to the surface for everything. They're, they're digging deeper and they're really trying to get the best information. And they really care about that end user out there. Yeah, and that's yeah, – it's a tough topic because there's so many people that will shoot their their whatever brand handgun that they bought on a, you know, super budget price. Uh, when the gun store guy told them that it was super awesome, go ahead and buy it. They'll shoot it you know, 150, 200, 300 rounds, and it'll be like, oh, this gun's awesome. And not understanding that, you know – like, for example, I carried a gun when I first started out. I had a budget gun, and that budget gun was finicky about ammo. So if I put uh, any rounded nose hollow points in it, it would not feed them properly. But if I put more angular, like a Hornady has a more angular head on it, uh, it would feed well, right? And so how would I know that if I didn't shoot all those different types of ammo and make sure that whatever ammo I'm carrying in the gun is going to shoot reliably? And then as I matured and got a little more money, you know, it moved into, hey, let's have a gun that isn't finicky on ammo and that just works well and works properly all the time. Um, and, you know, while all guns can fail, the percentage at, at which they fail is vastly different between brands. And I spent several years working in gun stores behind the counter. And one of the things that I did to gauge the reliability of a brand was how many warranties did I have to send back in for a given brand? 
And there were some brands that were notoriously high. Almost every week I'm sending in, uh, you know, some type of warranty repair in. And there were some brands that I, in three years of behind a gun store counter, never seen go back for a warranty. So while that's, you know, anecdotal, uh, it's just another piece in the puzzle that shapes my opinion about, you know, what's really important for weapons. How do you judge reliability? Who do you look for for information? Um, and, you know, staying away from the the advice of the gun store guy in the glossy magazine tends to be pretty good, you know, pretty good standard. Um, but that's just uh, looking for the right information is the key. And not having an emotional attachment to the choice you made is probably the hardest part is people buy a gun and they want to believe they bought the right gun. And then somebody says, Hey, that's, you know, that's not really a reliable gun. Or, oh no. Now I'm upset. You know, and uh, you can't say that, you know, you're just uh, a fanboy of whatever brand it is that you like. And, and see, I, I personally, I despise that idea of, of I'm, I'm not a fanboy of any brand. And I, I, and I, I don't like when people are like, Oh man, I, I hate those guns and I love these, you know, like I, I've, like I said earlier, I've been very critical of the XD, but I, I was like, you know what? I really don't hate a lot of things about this little Hellcat, you know? And I, that was, I, I wanted to hate it. I wanted to hate it from the start. I wanted it to be just another one of those guns that I'd lumped in with the rest of the XDs that I don't care for, but I didn't, you know, Ruger came out with the American pistol and I have been fairly critical of Ruger handguns, their defensive line of stuff over the years. Now they do a lot of stuff really well. Ruger does a lot of things really, really well. They have a lot of guns that I absolutely love, but their defensive the revolvers, their defensive good. handguns, um, you know, semi-autos are, are not what I normally consider one of those. And then they came out with the little security nine that fits a budget for a lot of people out there. And it's not a, an amazing gun for me, but it, I think it's great for some people out there getting their toe in the water. Uh, the American pistol came out a little bit before that. And then it came out in the, the, the compact version of the American pistol. And I, I like a lot of things about that Ruger American pistol. And it's not, it's not something that I've carried since then, but I think it fits a great group of people out there not ready to jump into, you know, some higher prices and they, they're going to get a solid gun. And I've got a lot of rounds through a Ruger American pistol and the thing has performed very, very well. I've been very impressed by that gun. What I'm getting at here is I, I am not a fanboy of anything. I'm a fan of some reliability. I'm a fan of the, some of the things that we've talked about here. And if those are all contained within one gun, I will change to a new gun tomorrow. Uh, I've got a gun off getting some work done to it right now, a FN 509. I think it's one of the most underrated guns out there. It's not incredibly popular, but I, I love the FN 509. I like a Glock 19. I carry a Glock 45 a lot of times, most of the time right now. I love the VP9. These are all guns that I, I think fit my criteria of being good guns because of the layouts of the guns, the controls, uh, the way the grip, the feel, the, um, the ergonomics, the everything about it, the manipulation, it's got all the features that I care for in a gun. And they're also extremely reliable. And they have a proven track record of being reliable. Now, out of all those I just named, probably the VP9 and the 509 are the newest. Uh, those are both guns that are being used in, in law enforcement. Um, I've used FN for many, many years, and there's I've rarely run into an FN gun that uh, that I, I find to be unreliable and doesn't work very well. There's some F things in the FN line that I don't really think should exist. It doesn't really matter to me, but uh, I'm sure they're for somebody out there. 
but these all these are guns, and there's a few of guns out there that I could add to this. I mean, I, I think right now it's a time of machining and testing, and uh, uh, what we have technology-wise, there's a lot of good options out there. You know, just because I carry a Glock doesn't mean that, like it's the only option out there. And that's what I carry the most. Um, I also carry a Smith and Wesson four four or a six four two revolver in my pocket a lot, and uh, that's arguably not a new gun. Yeah, I I'm a Glock shooter, but uh, I really like the the Beretta APX. That's another very yeah, underrated it, gun, which is a, a solid gun. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it, and that's also why I haven't returned yours yet for quite a while because I, I, I am going to really need that like it. <laughs> I want my APX back. Yeah. It's a it's a nice gun. It it feels really well. I was on the T and E team when it was being developed, and uh, I got lucky enough to get in on uh, putting a thousand rounds through it before it was ever released to the public. So it was very interesting for me to come back and see, barring yours, and see like you know what they actually implemented from all the suggestions from the T and E, uh, and it turned out to be a really well rounded um, handgun, and I think it's an excellent choice for a handgun actually. Like, I would pick that APX over a lot of guns out there. I, I think Beretta could have done better in their marketing with that gun to let people know oh, what they yeah. have. I think FN could have done better with their marketing with the 509 because they the price points on these guns aren't like, dude, APXs have been crazy cheap lately. And it's like cheaper than some of the guns out there that people are buying a lot of that are not known for their reliability. So. I think we've covered quite a bit for handgun selection and there's a lot of things to consider and I, I don't have anything to add to it, but in conclusion, what, what do you have to say to the people about handgun selection? The question that probably came up a few minutes ago, whenever I figured exactly what we're talking about, but I thought if I were a listener to this, I would be asking a question right now. So who do I listen to? How do I know what's good? And I think it goes back to the last week's episode when we talked about training I, one of my biggest regrets is as soon as I got out here in the civilian world in 2013 and started teaching classes, I wish I would have kept an Excel spreadsheet of every failure, every stoppage, everything that happened. When I worked at an indoor range as a director of training in Kansas, we had a rental counter with you know a lot of guns. And I wish I would have kept track of all those failures and all the things we had to fix and all the problems we had with all those. I have a lot of this stuff in my head. Like, I can tell you what guns work, what guns don't. I'm not going to do it right here. There's tons of information that come out from a training class and people that you talk to in the class, the instructor, all those things. So reputable trainer, go get in the class, go talk to them. If they teach a lot of classes a year, they're going to tell you what works and what doesn't. And you can either listen to that or you can not. Now you do have to remember some of them are also sponsored. They're going to point you toward a certain way. So maybe not ask them what they perfectly recommend, but like, Hey, what, what do you see? fails the most what are the what do you see the most problems with what holsters what guns what everything else they're going to have that information absolutely that is excellent advice and i agree 100 percent. all right so whatever handgun that you buy out there make sure you buy the magazines at gunmagwarehouse.com guys i'm daniel and uh that other guy on the mic is farg that was episode 171 we'll see you next time the mag life out